0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our weekly Parshish Shir. This week, of course, we are studying Parshish Yisroy, the week that Hashem gave that gives us the Torah um, and the Asarsa the Ten Commandments. Now, I want to give a few points of introduction to today's Shir. Here's point of introduction number one. As Jews, we are absolutely obsessed with well we're obsessed with a few things right we're obsessed with food we're uh, we're obsessed with worrying but one of the things we're obsessed with is arguing oh we love to argue now in the vast majority of cases arguments are understood as something negative no nothing is ever really ever accomplished in an argument i always like to say That I've yet to witness, I'm still looking forward to the day where I witness two people, you know, two Jews, husband and a wife, uh, you know, two siblings, whatever the case may be, in the heat of an argument, like, just, you know, in the thick of it, just going at each other. And right in the thick of it, one turns to the other and goes, you know something? My God, you're right. I just realized the argument that you just made now, it's so clever, it convinced me. Ah, you're right. <laughs> I've never seen that or heard of that ever. In fact, if somebody did that, it would actually probably cause pain to the person they're arguing with because that means the argument is over. Arguments are usually very unproductive. They're, they're usually, uh, you know, people are not listening. They're they're just shouting. They're... they're Everybody wants to be right. Nobody wants the truth. Arguments are usually part of the dark side of human interaction. However, arguments also have their place. They have, they, they they do have some significance. You see, my friends, there are few things in the world that are as psychologically dangerous as surrounding ourselves with like-minded people. If we're only around people who think the same as us, then we never really get challenged and then we we get we get tunnel vision we we start to think in an echo chamber and we can only hear ourselves and our own ideas and we lose sight of our own blind spots and our own weaknesses and the own cracks in our arguments so part of the benefit if you will of of having these arguments in a productive way is creating a platform where ideas can be challenged back and forth so that all involved if they would like can deepen their understanding of the issues at hand and accept honestly and accept challenges. Okay. Since the day the Rabbeinu Shluelam has given us the Torah um, the Jewish people have been, we're now three and a half thousand years later. We've not stopped arguing about about concepts in the Torah, about how to understand them, about how to apply them, about how to live with them, about whether to wear this colored tzitzis or this size tzitzis, et cetera, et cetera. of which, of of course, we're all aware. I had a teacher in in yeshiva. Uh, I may have mentioned this in the past, but I had a a teacher, may he live and be well, um, who was very unhappy with the way we were learning. He was dissatisfied with our dedication. You know, we weren't learning enough. We weren't applying ourselves enough. So I'll never forget this. He looks around the room one day and he goes, in Hebrew, of course, and he says to us, you know, one day you're all going to be big rabbis. (laughs) leaders of communities you know teachers all the rest of it he goes and i know the truth you guys are not sufficiently learning you're not applying yourself properly he says so you so when it comes time for you to take these leadership positions you're you're not going to know what to do you know you're going to be stuck you're going to be ignorant so he says to us i'll give you a tip you see i I remember the tip it worked he said i'll give you a tip and this is what you can do anytime you get asked the halacha question and you don't know the answer he says, whenever somebody asks you anything, any issue in aloha, no matter what it is, or any matter in Tyra for that matter, no matter what it is, and you don't really know the answer, all you do, he goes, tarim ushtey pick up both of your hands and go, oh this is a huge, ma- this is a huge machloik. this is a huge argument. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the rabbis debated this issue heavily. And no matter what the issue is, he tells us, you'll always be right. Of course, he was right about that too. Okay. No arguments are in Tyre, are more famous than those between the schools of Shammai and the schools of Hillel, who argued, the Gemara says, about just about every law, um, of just about every law in the Tyra. So, introduction number one is the Gemara from a Sechta Erevin. This Gemara is from a Sechta Erevin, fractate Erevin, page Taf Yugimelam and Beis, where the Gemara says the following. Omar Rabba, Omar Rabba, Omar Shmuel. Rabba quoted in the name of Shmuel. For three years, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel had the following argument. In other words, the Shammai and the argued to the best of my limited understanding for more than three years. But this particular argument lasted for three years. What was the argument? Who is the halacha going to be like in the end? Bottom line, what do we do? How do we like Hanukkah accounts, right? One to eight or eight to one? How do we, uh, you know, all the things that Beishamah and Basilo argue about. How do we rule in the end? So, Beishamah and Basilo says the Gemara argued about that too. For three years, for three years, Beisilo said it's going to be like us. Beishamah said it's going to be us. Yotsisabas baskoil. This halacha was decided by a voice from heaven, and said, quote, Eilu hain." Both the words of the school of Shammai and the words of the school of Beis Hillel are the words of Hashem. The Halocha ke Beis and the halacha will follow the school of Hillel. This, of course, uh, this of course is the halacha in the vast majority of cases. Um, I believe with the, in the hundreds of arguments between Beishamai and Beis Hilo, the is like Beis Shamai only in 18 cases, if I remember correctly. But other than that, the almost always follows the school of Hilo. The Gemara could have stopped there, but it pushes the point. If both, says the Gemara, are the words of Hashem, If both have their place in Torah, if neither is wrong or right, rather both express and a correct understanding words of Divrei Lekimchaim, words of the Living God. Okay. So if both are expressing the words of Hashem, then why did Beis Hillel merit that the halacha should be
1: like them? Why?
0: The Gemara doesn't say. This is the part that I'm about to say here, but in other places the Gemara actually says that the school of Shammai were considered were Maha. The school of Shammai were actually sharper. they were they were considered to have more intellectual prowess. they were they were they were they were more on top of their game. they were intellectually stronger. The school of Shammai were intellectually stronger than the school of Hilo, which makes the question stronger. So why were they Hillel that the halacha that the that the should be like them? Gomorrah answers, quote, because they were easy and forbearing. They were easygoing. They weren't arrogant. They weren't stubborn. They weren't um they weren't difficult people. They were easy to get along with. They were pleasant. Neuchin means they were kind. Aluvin means they were uh, Aluvin. He translates it here as for, in article translates it as forbearing, but Aluvin can be understood to mean they were they were they Aluvin 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 means they 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 would accept criticism, they and not respond. They would take they would take it if somebody pointed out something to them that was unpleasant. They were able to hear it without getting defensive. divrei. So, so number one, noichin they were easy to get along with. Number two, aluvin they would they would gladly accept criticism. Number three, says the Gemara, divrei and the divrei They would teach that when they studied Torah, they would quote both their own opinion and the opinion of the school of Shammai. They didn't just teach their own approach; they also taught the approach of the school of Shammai. And not only that, they would actually, when they would discuss the halacha, they would always teach the opinion of Shammai, of the opposing school of thought, before they taught the opinion of the school of Hila, their own school of thoughts. They would always say the other opinion first, and then they would say, and, and then they would say their own opinion. And because of these traits they merited that the halacha should be like them. This this is what the Gemara says. In fact, that's why the commentaries say, that's why in most cases in in Mishnah and Gemara, when we have recorded arguments between the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel, the words of the school of Shammai are almost always quoted first before the words of the school of Hillel because because it's recorded the way Hillel would teach it, the way Hillel would teach this halacha. And Hillel would always teach the words of the opposing school of Shammai before their own. Because of this, they merited that the halacha that the halacha should uh, should be like that. Okay. The commentaries have a very hard time understanding this piece of Gemara. They say, "Well, what the Gemara is essentially saying is that the school of Shammai, excuse me, that the uh, that the school of Hillel were wonderful people. They were easygoing. They weren't stubborn. They weren't arrogant. They they." They were into. They were uh, what do they call it? They were self-aware, right? They were able to take criticism. They didn't get defensive. They they were respectful. They gave deference to the words of Shammai before the words of Yilam, which makes them wonderful people, right? Which makes them great and 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 holy and 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 perhaps wonderful examples of how a person should live. But in the words of the Beis Yosef, um, how does that make them right? Or how does that make that the halacha that the halacha should be like them? Why? What's one thing got to do with the other? So you're a wonderful person means the halacha is like you. I mean, there are rules in which we determine in which we determine what halacha is. Why? Why is the Gemara saying? Well, they were such wonderful people. That's why the halacha is like them. It's good to, in other words, it's good to have these moral, spiritual qualities. But how does that make the halacha be like you? Imagine if two rabbis argued today right and and one knew the haloha and the other one you know didn't know the haloha as well one was sharper but the one that was less sharp was a better human being was kinder was sweeter was easier to get along with was more accepting of criticism would give deference to the other person's opinion to say okay because you're a better human being now the haloha follows you doesn't make any sense another question the commentaries ask is we know the halocha is that whenever you have an argument between between uh, between authentic authorized people to express an opinion, as a rule, halacha follows the majority. We know the reason why the halacha was like basil and not be'shamai is because basil had more students, right? In fact, the Gemara says, if, a, if I remember correctly, the Gemara says that one day the school of Shammai had more students and they wanted to close the door and, and decide all the unresolved issues that day because you know they were more in the school of Shammai that day. But, but as a rule. There were more members in the school of Hillel, so, so the, the haloha follows the majority. That's why the haloha is like Beis All right, the commentaries explain that the Gemara doesn't mean that base Hillel had the haloha like them because they had these qualities. What the, what the Gemara means is that because base Hillel had these qualities, this opened them up to a deeper, more sophisticated level of understanding both on a human level and on a spiritual level. And again, many commentaries give, express the same idea in similar ways. And the, 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 on the human level, they say, well, Beis Hillel would always very seriously consider the words, the opinion of Shammai. They were able to not let their egos get in the way. They heard it. They heard what Beis Shammai said, and they genuinely processed it. And they were open to accepting it if it resonated. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. When it didn't, it, there wasn't an ego involved. It was because they, genuine, they were intellectually honest enough to, to discover problems with it. And so then the school of Hillel were liberated, if you will, to honestly get into the ideas without it becoming personal. So they would always consider the words of Beishamai as well as they could, and then still see if they had any issues, any arguments with it. And when they did, they would argue. Whereas, the commentaries say, the school of Shammai, there was an arrogance, if you will, or, or an air about them, where they sort of disregarded the words of Hillel, didn't take them seriously, or not, not, not seriously enough. And so the school of Shammai, in their arrogance, you know, sort of like the, uh, like the famous tortoise and the hare story, sort of in their arrogance would sometimes dismiss legitimate points that the school of Hillel was making, but they just didn't take them as seriously. So Hillel took Shammai more seriously than Shammai took Hillel. And so because of that, they were open to Shammai's arguments and therefore they sometimes saw through them and argued. And so when they did argue, their arguments actually in the end were superior because of how seriously they took Shammai's opinion. All right. The other explanation is more of a spiritual explanation. The other explanation is because of their humility, they merited more of a siyat Shmaya Because they were actually genuinely humble, they merited the Hashem. Hashem would help them lead them to the correct haloth, to the correct conclusion halochically. Right? Sometimes a person... Can be very wise, and in their brilliance, they can make mistakes, or, or their brilliance can 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 go astray. Sometimes a person can be a little less brilliant, but with siyata d'shemay, with Hashem's help, you can reach the right conclusion. So the commentaries explain because of their because of their humility, they Hashem, uh, they were merited more siyata Dishmaya in the sense that the halacha would be like them. Okay, of course, not to discredit the words of Shammai, as the Gemara itself says, All right. That's introduction number one. Introduction number two. There's a sefer writ- written called Gilgulay Neshamis. Gilgulay Neshamis. We've quoted it before. Written by a kabbalist who I live, believe who lived I believe three hundred years ago in Italy, called Rebenachem Reb Azaria uh, Mipanu, or the Rame Mipanu for short. He, he wrote the sefer. He called. He wrote many sforim. He wrote a sefer called Gilgulay Neshamis. And in Gilgulay Neshamas, he writes something wild. It's based on a Gomorrah. This, this Gomorrah is in Masech the Sanhedrin. Um, just very briefly, the Gomorrah in Sanhedrin is talking about a in Megillas Rus, where it says that after uh, Rus came to Boyaz in the middle of the night, right, Boyaz Except up in the middle of the night, there's a woman lying at his feet, and she asks him to marry him, and Boya says, look, I can't marry you right now, right? Who are you going to find a rabbi in the middle of the night? Besides, there's other things you need to take care of. He tells her to come back to her in the morning. He says he'll take care of things in the morning, and the next day it's going to happen, and of course, that, that's exactly what happened. So the Pasek says that he asks her to leave before daybreak. So people shouldn't see them together in the field and start asking questions and get suspicious. He asks her to leave while it's still dark. And he gives her six measures of grain, six saw. And the Gomorrah, Gomorrah in typical Gomorrah style, hops, latches onto this six measures, six saw of grain. The Gomorrah says, what's this business of six measures of grain? Besides the six measures were so large, it wasn't normal for a human being to carry that much grain. So the Gomorrah explains that Boyaz was reassuring Rus. Here, Rus came to him in the middle of the night. She wanted to marry him, right? The Mephoshim say she knew that Boyaz wasn't going to live much longer and that she was destined to have children from him. And he basically rejected her. He said no. So in order to reassure her, he told her, don't worry. We're going to get married and you're going to have six descendants these six descendants, each of which is going to be blessed with six blessings. The six measures of grain that he gives her is a remes for the six descendants that she's going to have, all of which will have these six blessings. We'll, we'll be blessed with six blessings. Who are the six descendants? David, David HaMelech, of course. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishol, Azariah, and Mashiach. Okay, all of which were blessed with six blessings. Says the Gemara, where do we find that David is blessed with six blessings? Listen to this. So the Gemara quotes a pasuk. The pasuk is uh, taken from, from the part in the Torah. Here, yeah, where's the where's the source of the pasuk? Uh, six Shmuel Aleph, right? Shmuel Aleph, paraktes paraktesay pasuk yibches, where Shaul is looking for the people are looking for somebody who's going to play music for Shaul Melach. The pasuk says like this: So they're looking, they're 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 looking for a candidate, somebody to play music. One of the one of the na'orim, one of the young men, spoke up. He says he neiruishi ben liyishai be'salachmi. There's a there's a man called Yishai. He lives in Ishai Beisalachmi. He has a son. Now, in order to convince Shaul Amelach to hire this man. He touts the young man's this man, of course, of course, referring to David Amelak. He touts his, his his virtues. He reads his the uh, he reads his CV. He is, quote, Yodeya Nagin. He knows how to play music. Ibrahim, he is mighty in courage. Ishmael Choma, a man of war. Novoindover, Novo he's a man who understands things. Ishtoyar. he's beautiful. Vahashem imoyan Hashem is with him. Six things. Yadayanagin, he can play. Gibrachayil, he's a man of he's mighty in courage. Hama, a man of war. Dover, he's is understanding. He Ishtoyer, he's physically and spiritually beautiful. Number six, Hashem imoi, Hashem is with him. Says the Gemara, the Torah doesn't say, the pasuk doesn't say, who was making this presentation to Shaul it Doesn't say. It just says Echad Orem says the Gomorrah was a man called Doyeg. Doyeg was the head of the Sanhedrin. Doyeg is, is uh, a great Torah scholar in his own right and a man who is responsible basically for leading Shoal astray. He was the one. And the reason why he is, is, uh, is touting the virtues of David, the reason why he's introducing and bringing David to the palace of Shoal is because he can sense somehow through prophecy that David might be the one to take over from Shaul And so he wants to sow the seeds of jealousy and hatred between Shaul and David. So Shaul will kill David and squash the competition between before anything blossoms. Doiagot, Doimi at this point is already planting the seeds of, of, of hatred between Shaul and David, which of course, um, later on, this hatred, this jealousy between Shaul and David will explode. The Torah will dedicate many chapters uh, to, to describing the catastrophe that this turns into the seed is planted when his name his identity is presented to Shaul melech as a candidate to come and be interviewed by the king to play music for Shaul HaMelech who is suffering says the Gemara the intent was all Hora. it was said by Doeg and all six qualities Yudeya Nagain, Gibrachail, all six qualities all talk about David Amalach's prowess in studying Tyra. Yudeya Nagin, he knows how to play music means he knows how to respond to questions. He uh, sorry, he knows Yudeya Nagin he knows means he knows how to ask questions. Gibra Chayo means he knows how to answer questions. Ish Milchama means he, know how, he knows how to have a good Torah argument. Novo and means he knows how to extract one halacha from another halacha. Ish a man of beauty. All, 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 different, uh, all, all different things. The last thing that Dayek says about David, and these lists of six qualities represented by the six measures of barley that Boyaz gives Rus. On the night that he tells her, I'll marry you tomorrow, the last thing he says is, Vahashem Imoy. Listen to this. Says the Gemara, what does it mean, Vahashem Imoy? Vahashem That when he gives a ruling, the halacha will follow him. Says the Gemara, Massechta Sanhedrin, Dafsadagim Alaman Beis. As shola melech is hearing this, as shola melech is hearing, the virtues of David being being uh, being portrayed to him, being elaborated to him by by Doeg trying to sow the seeds of hatred and jealousy between Shaul and David. And Doyek is talking about how gifted this young man is. He knows how to ask questions. He knows how to give. He knows how to give answers. He knows how to hold a Torah debate. He knows how to extract one thing from the other. Everything that Doyek says.
1: Shoal responds, quote,
0: Yohinas and Bani Kamoyu. and Everything, every one of these qualities that were presented, Shol Amelech says, This is not going to make me jealous of this young man, because my son son, who would of course later become Dovin Amelach's close friend, can do the same. You're telling me, David, can I ask questions? My son, Yonison, can do the same. You're telling me he can give answers. He can deduce one halacha from another halacha. He, uh, he, he, can, he can find the halacha. My son, Yonison, can do all the same things. Until came quality number six, when Dayek said, quote, V'Hashem imoi
1: shehalacha kamoitoi, Says the Gemara, Shaul became disheartened, and he became jealous of David,
0: because Shaul says the Gemara did not have this did not see this zechus in his son Yonason. Yonason was not Yonason was to be a great Torah scholar, but to be able to pass the and be like him, David's son Yonason did not have did not have this bracha. Says the Rameh Panu in Safer Sefer, Gilgula in the This is a Safer discussing all reincarnations throughout all of Jewish history. That David Amelech was reincarnated in Hillel. And Yonason was reincarnated in Shammai. David and Yonason were reincarnated in Shammai and Hillel. And what Doeg was telling him is that in the end, when the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel will argue, Imoi will be like David Amalek will be like Bessilo. And that made Shol jealous. That made Shol that, that upset. That he saw in that, he saw in that a depth and a and a quality that even his son Jonasan, despite all of his learning and great, the great Torah prowess, did not have. All right.
1: You have a Khomish in front of you. <laughs> this is a here. Open up to
0: Perak Yud Tes, Posuk Chof, This is the Posuk right before the Aserah Sadibris began.
1: Let's
0: just give some context. Excuse
1: me. Perak Yud excuse me, Perak
0: Yud Tes, Posuk Yisrael. So the context here for this Pasek is that the Jewish people are uh, seven weeks approximately after they've left Mitzrayim. They have been eagerly anticipating the giving of the Torah. Moisha Bain has been giving them instructions now for days as to how exactly to prepare, how to get ready for this. And the day of Matan Torah finally arrives the book says that there was colossal there was thunder and lightning There was unencave there was a thick cloud on the mountain for koil shofar and the sound of the shofar was very powerful and the people trembled by they camped at the foot of the mountain har sinai is now full of smoke because Hashem has descended upon the mountain in fire, and actually the whole mountain waked, shook. Perikutes, pasikutes, vayehi koil there was a sound of the shofar. It's not the first time the Torah has mentioned the sound of the shofar. It was mentioned before, but this is the second time. The sound of the shofar, which the Torah mentioned before, says the Pesach, was getting louder and louder. Moshe spoke. And Hashem answered
1: him in a loud voice.
0: All right. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to warn the Jews not to climb up, not to climb up on Har Sinai, and within a few psukim after that, the Aseret Hadibros are given, and Hashem speaks to the Jewish people directly, um, all at once, in the greatest moment of divine revelation in all of Jewish and human history. On the words "Hoylech moi," that the sound of the shofar was getting louder and louder, Rashi comments very famously. That with a human being, the longer you blow a shoifer, the more silent it gets. Because you start running out of breath. You start running out of strength. So the longer you blow, the weaker the sound gets. But in this case, because it was the Rabboni Shloylam blowing the shofar, So the longer he blew, the louder the shofar got. Why did Hashem do it that way? It says Rashi, to, in order to accustom the Jews, get used to it slowly. First, the sound was soft. Then it built up greater and greater and higher and higher. All right, says the bala turim The sound of the shofar was getting stronger and stronger. The words the frame something was getting stronger and stronger appears twice in the whole Torah in all of Tanakh. The expression twice, one over here. By the sound of the shofar right before the giving of the Torah, the Idoch and the other one, the David Huilich V Shmuel beis Peregimel Posak Aleph. Shmuel beis Peregimel Posak Aleph. Again, this is the context for the other place in the Torah where the word the expression is used. And this posik is taken from a very painful chapter. In the in the rift in the in the civil war, actually, um, between David and Shoal. you see, as I mentioned before, the relationship between Shoal and David becomes very contentious. It descends, as is very well known, to a point where Shoal becomes obsessed with hunting David and killing him. Even though David becomes even though David assists shoul in slaying Goliath even though David actually is Shoal's son-in-law. Shoal becomes absolutely single-mindedly obsessed with slaying David and pursues him relentlessly. Not only that, but even anybody who would be, anybody who was caught in assisting David to flee King Shoal was also killed, as is the famous story with Neiv, the city of Kohanan, an entire city of Kohanan who were almost completely decimated because they, were, because they helped David while they didn't even know that David was running from Shul.
1: That's how bad it got. Okay. But it got even
0: worse. In the end, Shul dies at war. Shul dies in war together with his, with his sons. They're fighting the Plishtim and they die in the war. And yet, even after the war is over, the house of Sheol, the family of Sol, the supporters of Sol, his, his army, his, his military, continue to fight with David and to try to kill him. At first, the odds are stacked very heavily against David. Shaul had basically the whole Jewish army. And he had a man called Avner, who was the, 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 the chief of military, who was a very powerful man in his own right. And they had and and they anoint, they actually anoint one of Shaul's sons to be Shaul's successor. Says the pasuk peragimol Shmuel beis peragimol vatehiyam Milchoma aruka Bain beis Shaul bein beis David the war between the house of Shaul even after Shaul was dead bein beis David and the house of David lasted for a long time. But with time the pasuk says the David hilech v'chazek David's camp. Became bigger and stronger. They had, as they like to say, in the political in the political world, momentum was on their side. David would, base David, the house, the, the, the school, the, the military, the resources of David, the support of David kept getting stronger. The house of Shoal slowly uh, started to wither until with time it, it completely fell apart and David eventually becomes David Malachi, Saul, King of king of the Jews, and from him and for all times, from, from his children and for all times, become, become, become the Jewish kings. Says the Bala Turim, this is the only other place in the Torah where we find the term as, as we find it by Matan Torah. Again, Matan Torah, the sound of the shofar becomes stronger and stronger. And the other is in the war between David and his men and the house and the family of Sheol, after Sheol had passed, it says, David's, um, David's men,
1: David's support became stronger, Sheol's became weaker. Nope.
0: What's the connection? What's the connection between saying that the sound of the shoifer becomes stronger and stronger Ramat and, Torah. and David the becomes stronger in his fight against the House of Shaul. He quotes the Gemara. One more Gemara. The Issa says the Balat Turim, as we learned in Erevin, David goli Masechta, Loi goli Masechta. This is a this is a, a passage in Masechta Erevin. The Gemara talks about why it is. That sometimes when people study Torah, the Torah lasts. They're they're able to retain the Torah. Sometimes when people study Torah, they're not. The, the Torah does not last. Gemara gives different explanations. Very interesting. The Gemara says if pe- people who use clean language, people who are who are refined in the language they use, the Torah that they learn stays with them. People who are coarse or inappropriate with their language, the Torah doesn't stay with them. The Gemara says people who study Torah and they are meticulous to make sure that the Torah that they're learning is exact. They're, they're constantly fine-tuning it. Their Torah lasts. Those who are vague or sloppy, the Torah doesn't last. The Gemara also says if you have one Rebbe, if you have one teacher, the Torah lasts. If you have many teachers, it doesn't. All right. Then the Gemara says like this.
1: David a asekhta
0: shola malak al-layqalimasaqta david quote elucidated his teaching masaqta means his teaching his studies he elucidated it and therefore because he elucidated it david the gali masaqta kasee bay yariha yurun yurun he merited he merited that allah should be like him shola malak al-layqalimasaqta kasee bay alla shayf na yashia is allah's decisions were inaccurate what does it mean, Goli the Masechta? The commentaries have three explanations. Number one, it says, David and Sh- so the Gemara, again, the Gemara here is contrasting, David and Sho. The way David learned Torah to the way Sho learned Torah. David Goli Sho Loi What does this mean? The commentaries give, Rashi gives two explanations and the Mehir gives one. One explanation says Rashi is, when they taught, they didn't just teach the law, they taught the reason for the law. So that the people who were studying didn't just know what the law was, but they also got an appreciation for it. They also got to enjoy it because the reason is where all the enjoyment is. They explained the law as well. In the school of Shoal, in the in the yeshiva of Shoal, they didn't do that. They taught the that's this is the way it is, and that's and that, that's the end of it. Another explanation. In the yeshiva of David, they believed in teaching Torah as much as they believed in studying Torah. Whatever you know, you have to teach others. Show loy goli the show didn't in the yeshiva of show the emphasis was on learning taira. Doesn't matter. Well, what the teaching is for somebody else, right? It's somebody else's problem. If for me to learn taira, I have to learn myself. In fact, sometimes teaching others can take away time from learning myself. David goli and David would teach others show loy goli And finally, the third explanation. This one from the. Mi'iri, I find this one very intriguing. It says in the yeshiva of David, before somebody would give a shiir, they would tell everybody what they're going to talk about. They would give what's called the maramakoyimus, the sources for what the shiir is about. This is because they wanted people to do their homework, to study beforehand, so that when the shiir was presented, number one, people would understand better. Number two, they would be empowered to ask and to challenge because they would be fluent in the discussions. Challenging the one presenting, giving the sheer to have to be on top of their game and know how to think on their feet and be open to questions they may not have thought of. In the yeshiva of Shoal, they didn't do that, right? You know, some teachers take questions, some teachers don't take questions. I give the sheer by Zoom and I just mute everybody so I got no problems with, 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 with any of it. But some teachers take questions and some teachers don't. Usually the teachers that don't take questions because I shouldn't say usually. Often the reason why teachers don't take questions is because they're, they're a little insecure, right? Ah, don't challenge me. I'm telling you, this is the way it is. Just accept it. What if you're wrong? David, goli Shol sholoi goli The Gemara says, this is the reason why the Torah of David lasted and the Torah of Shol didn't last. Conclusion of the Balaturim. The Gemara the Balaturim says, David Masech to v'chazek. Because David taught Torah in this way, taught Torah in a way where his Torah thrived, it was, it was taught to others, it was taught with reasons, it was taught in a way that empowered the students, not weakened them. Therefore, he merited that his Malucha, that his kingdom, Hoylech Bechosek, also became stronger and stronger. Shaul did not. Therefore, Shaul's melucha, his kingdom also weakened with time. And that says the Balaturim is the reason why the Torah uses the expression because David's power, the power of his melucha, the reason why his, his monarchy has so much strength is because the Torah that he teaches was also in a way that empowered and that grew. Okay, I think what what he's saying on a deeper level, or or maybe even on the most simple of levels, is that there's really two ways of studying Torah. One way is where those who study it are empowered. The the Torah that they study grows and becomes bigger and greater. More of an appetite is developed. It's an empowering Torah. It, it, it teaches the students, it explains it to them, it equips them with the tools that, that, that are necessary, etc., to challenge and to grow. That's one way. And that, in general, the Balaturim is saying, is David's way. Shoal, on the other hand, taught Torah differently, perhaps because he believed that the will of Hashem needed to be communicated in a particular way. You know, in a, in a defined way, in a stern way, it was less empowering for its students. He either didn't teach it at all, or he taught it without the reasons, or, or he didn't, you know, he didn't empower the students to challenge it. And for this reason, the Balaturim is saying, for this reason, that's the real reason why Shoals Malucha, why his monarchy didn't last. Whether your monarchy lasts or not, says the Balaturim. Is determined by how you study Torah. David David's Melucha. David's monarchy endured and and grew and was more empowered all the way till Mashiach. And he merited that the halacha should be like him, because the way he studied Torah empowered those that that, that empowered those that it came in contact with. Just like the Shofar that becomes that becomes uh, that, that became stronger and stronger with time right before Matan Time. All right. This is this is. This is what it is that he says. Okay, we're accustomed. Uh, uh, I want to analyze this for a few minutes. We're accustomed to knowing and understanding, and of course, everybody's heard it a million times. That when you study Torah, you have to study Torah with humility. Of course, you can't study Torah with arrogance. Arrogance, in fact, pushes away the Rabbanu Shalom. It, uh, it, it. Hashem says. I cannot live together with a person who is arrogant. If one wishes to study Torah and to understand the Torah of Hashem and to understand it truly, authentically, one needs humility. The issue is famous, but not as simple as it sounds. I'll tell you why. Because humility doesn't just mean that you accept. Humility doesn't just mean you fold your hands and say, this is what Hashem wants, and that's the end of it. Everybody can do that. That's not the chachm, right? That's, that's not the challenge. The challenge with humility is actually to believe that Hashem wants me to understand. Hashem wants me to use my intellect and to use my intellect in a humble way. Now, how do you use your intellect in a humble way? If I understand something and you understand differently, Am I supposed to say you're right if I think I'm right? That's being intellectually dishonest. Being humble doesn't mean you're intellectually dishonest. Being humble, <laughs> intellectual dishonesty just means you're not using your brains. So I, I wonder if sometimes people don't struggle with this, right? How do we actually balance this? You say, well, well, this is what the Torah says. This is what my Rav said. This is what my Rosh Hashiva said. This is what, uh, you know, the Poisek says. Okay. Are we supposed to just accept it? Or are we supposed to try to understand it? And what if our understanding brings us to a different conclusion? Now what? So how, how do we balance the two? Also, not a new question, but an, but an important question nonetheless. Okay, so of course the answer is both. You need to have humility, and you need to use your brains, and you need to, you know, and if your brain, if your intellect comes to a different conclusion, you need to have the humility to say, okay, I don't understand why this is the halacha, but if this is the halacha, I accept it, and, and, and that's the end of it. But there's a deeper point that there's a deeper point that I that I want to make here. The humility of studying Torah also means that I need to be humble enough to accept that if Hashem tells me I can understand in my limited and simple puny mind, then Hashem is right and I can actually understand it. It's arrogant to sometimes say, don't bother understanding. The Torah is too deep. The Torah is too vast. The Torah is too difficult to understand. We can never understand it truly. It's beyond us. There's an element of truth to it, but there's an element of false ego that sets in there. What do you mean? If Hashem said that I can understand and learn the Torah, that I can learn and understand the Torah, then I can learn and understand the Torah. If Hashem says that my brain can master it, then my brain can master it. Then my understanding of the Torah is significant, not because I think I'm so significant, but because Hashem said so. There's an expression in the Gemara, in Masech Debrachos, the Gemara will use an expression about different things Toi rohi v'leil Toi rohi means, don't tell me that I cannot understand things.
1: Don't tell me no. Don't dismiss me.
0: And I, may, and, I, and I may never dismiss myself. If Hashem has empowered me with the gift of understanding, then I have to continue trying. And if I don't understand, I gotta go back to it again and again. I have to believe. I have to believe in myself. That I have the ability to understand it, not out of ego because I'm so great, but on the contrary, out of humility, because I have the humility to trust Hashem who's told me that
1: I can understand it. And
0: perhaps on a deeper level, this is what the Gemara means when the Gemara says that this, is the, that this was the difference between the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. With the school of Shammai would dismiss the school of Hilo and the school of Hilo would not dismiss the school of Shammai. Why did the school of Shammai dismiss the school of Hilo? Because they were honest about themselves, and they knew they were sharper. They, were new, they knew they were brighter. Knew. So why should I listen to the opinion of somebody who is not as smart as me? Right? I, if I'm intellectually stronger, so, 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 Shammai, so the school of Shammai said... We are mechada we are sharper. We have to pasken the halacha based on the way we understand. And the school of Hillel said, you know something? You are smarter than us. But the reason why we study Torah with our brains, the reason why we use our smartness is because Hashem told us to. The elu, the elu means just like Hashem wants you to study Torah with your sophisticated brain, Hashem wants me to study Torah with my simple brain. And in that sense, we're the same. But Hilal came to this out of hum- The school of Hilo came to this out of humility. They had to come to it out of, hu- out, of hum- out, of, out of humility. They didn't have the intellectual prowess that the school of Shammai had. So they had to say, OK, if we're going to measure smartness, we're not as smart. They could have packed their bags and gone home and said, OK, you be the Rosh Hashivas. But instead, they had the humility to say, no, we're going to sit and we're going to study and use our brains to understand because Hashem says we have to use our brains to understand. They would teach Shammai's words before their own because they also knew that Shammai were, were sharper and smarter than, than they were. And then once they had taught the words of Shammai, they would sit and dissect and say, okay, now does this make sense to us or not? If yes, mitzvah. If not, toy We have to challenge it in our own way. And because their intellect was, was motivated and was infused and was empowered by their humility, by their, by their sense of because Hashem was the one who had, they they believed that Hashem was the one who wanted them to use their brains. Therefore, in the end, they merited merited that the halacha should be like them. Okay. I believe that this is an explanation of a very famous and puzzling passage in the Gemara. The Gemara says very famously that when Hashem gave the Torah to the Jews, he hung the mountain over their heads. Right? Actually, I I studied a medrash last night That explains something to me that I never understood. I was always bothered by this. The Jews were camped around the mountain. And then Hashem lifted the mountain. And he says, if you accept the Torah, good. If not, I'm going to bury you under the mountain. So the technical part of me was always always bothered by this. I don't understand. If the Jews are camped around the mountain and Hashem lifts the mountain, how is Hashem going to bury them under the mountain? If the mountain lands, it's not going to touch any of the Jews. The Jews are around it. So I actually saw a mechilta last night for the first time I saw. The mechilta says that when Hashem lifted the mountain, by the Jews actually gathered and stood underneath the mountain. Now, why they did that is a good question. But that's what they did. So as they're standing there literally underneath the mountain, Hashem says, either you accept the tyrant, if not, I'm going to drop the, mountains, the mountain on your head and you're all going to die. Okay. And the Jews accepted the tyrant. And all the commentaries ask, famous question, right? Why is Hashem hanging the mountain over their heads, forcing them to accept the Torah when the Jewish people already said, not nah, the They already said, we'll accept it, we'll do it. They already, they already willingly accepted it. Many different answers are given. One of the answers are given is simple. Why did Hashem hang the mountain over their heads and force them to accept the Torah after the Jews had already agreed to accept the Torah? One of the answers is because there's two Torahs. What, the he- what in heaven's name does that mean? Since when are there two Torahs? Yes, yeah, so in the commentaries, two Torahs. Torah Torah the written Torah and the oral Torah. The written Torah, the Jewish people said, Naseh we'll, we'll do everything that it says there and we'll learn it. When it came to the oral Torah, the Torah the the, 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 troyros, the Mishnah, the Gemara, the commentaries, all the rest of it. Now, that you, on a simple level, the, the chapter is, the Jews said, this is overwhelming right? The written Torah at least is defined, it has a certain size, and, and you know, and, and that's the end of it. The oral Torah is infinite, it, it never ends. Now Hashem had to force the Jews. He hung the mountain over their heads, and he said, if you accept the Torah, good, if not, I'm going to bury you here underneath the mountain. Torah, they accepted, Torah, they were forced. That's, the, that, that's one of the very famous explanations to answer this. Now you think about this, and it's actually incredibly ironic. With Torah Shavichsav, with a written Torah, it's actually not about the person's understanding. Torah Shavichsav—it's the word of Hashem. There's very little, if any, human understanding. In fact, you can fulfill the mitzvah of Limo Torah by saying the words of Torah Shavichsav, even if you don't understand what you're saying, because the words come directly from Hashem. They're just channeled down from—these are God's actual words is human understanding. Terechabalpeh is the yid struggling to understand the word of Hashem. Now, now listen to the irony. So which which is which is basically just godly, not human. This the yidn accept. No problem. Not the punishment. which is human. Of course, it's not intrinsically human, it's intrinsically godly. But, but the structure of which is the human understanding of it, that the Jews have to be forced into. It's so incredibly strange. to do what I tell you to do and don't ask any questions. The Jews say absolutely, we accept, no problem. Now I tell you to understand. No. Now 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 Hashem says has to hang the mountain over their heads and force them to understand, and force them to work to understand the Torah. It seems like it should be the other way around. It seems like when it comes to the oral Torah, the Jewish people should have said, absolutely, we accept. We'll pursue the oral Torah. We'll try to understand. And when it comes to Torah Shabbat, which is basically doing what you're told because you're told, et cetera. Over there, the Jews should have to be forced. Kapoyer, The other way around. And I believe the explanation is exactly what we're saying. I believe, I believe the explanation is this. Hashem says when it comes to when it comes to accepting what it is that I tell you, I want you to accept this not because you feel like you have to, but because you want to. You should want to. This is the way humility works. You should want to do as you're told, not feel forced to do as you're told. That's and Torah Shabalpeh, which is understanding, Hashem says, I want you to use your brains and understand the Torah, not because you want to, rather Hashem says, because I want you to. That's so, how that's how the humility in
1: studying Torah works. When Hashem gives
0: us instructions and tells us, fulfill it because you have to, the you say, absolutely, of course, that's exactly what we want. And when Hashem says, I want you to use your brains and understand it, the Jews are supposed to say, okay, Hashem, if that's what you, Hashem, want, you want us to use our brains, we'll, 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 we'll learn and we'll delve and we'll understand. Okay. Let's conclude the Dvar Torah and, and go back to the point of the Balat Torah. What's the difference between whether when a person studies Torah, they take the approach that I'm studying because I want to understand, I'm using my own intellect, or I'm using my own intellect because Hashem wants me to. I'll tell you what the difference is. Every human being is limited. No matter how smart we are, no matter how smart we think we are, our minds have certain limitations. When we reach the end of our limitations, we're done.
1: That's the end of it. Hashem is not limited.
0: Torah is not not limited. So if I'm understanding Torah because I want to understand, if I'm understanding Torah because because my seichol, my intellect enjoys it because it's something that I want to do. So I do it as much as I want. I do, I, I'm limited by my own human limitations. Even if I'm very brilliant like Beit Shammai, there's a certain limitation there. But if I'm understanding because I'm noyach v'elboing, because I'm, I'm, I'm accommodating, I am open to criticism, I'm, I, I'm not defensive, I am, I am saying the words of my opponent before my own. They're saying the words of Beshami before their own, their own words, meaning they're understanding it. There, there's, there's a humility that sets in. Whenever there's a humility that sets in, there's a godliness that sets in. When there's a godliness that sets in, then it becomes infinite, and it grows and it becomes stronger with time. What the Balaturim is saying is that this is the reason why, this is the difference between the rulership of David and the rulership of Shaul. Shaul also learned Torah. But like Golimasech, the Torah that he learned was limited. There were no reasons. He didn't feel it was important to state a reason. This is, he believed, he, this is what Hashem said. And that, that's the, You need a better reason than that. That's it. Hashem said so. But that doesn't empower, that doesn't give you a royalty, a kingship that endures, that becomes stronger. So it's limited and then eventually it dies. It dies out. And along comes the house of David, who merits that the should be like him, the Goli because as he studies Torah, the Torah is constantly becomes bigger and stronger and greater because the humility that he has while he studies it allows the godliness to set in and, 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 um, and empower it and, and, and become bigger and greater. Again, there are men, the Sefer, Guli, Neshomas, is saying, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel are rooted in Shool and David. It was the approach of Sheol that gave us the school of Shammai. It was the approach of David that gave us the school of Hillel. And although both are godly approaches, in the end, it was the school of David that merited that, that, that the, that the halacha should be like them. Wishing you all a wonderful Shabbos, and thank you very much for being here today.